Welcome to All Along the Wasatch, a public affairs program produced by Bonneville Salt Lake City. If you would like to submit a request to be on the show, please email mparsons at ksl.com. Now, here's the host of All Along the Wasatch, Mike Parsons. My guest today is Taryn Hyatt. She is Area Director for Utah and Nevada for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And the website is afsp.org. Hello, Taryn. Hello. How are you? Doing really well. It's been a while since we've spoken. I'm glad we're talking again. Uh, Tell us a little bit about AFSP, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. I know it was started in 1987. Who started it and why? Yeah, so our organization was founded, as you mentioned, back in 1987 by researchers and loss survivors, you know, people who'd been touched by, by this health issue really trying to understand, you know, why? Why do people die by suicide? What can be done to prevent it? And creating programs and strategies to really address some of those those risk factors and things that they identified. And so our local chapters, you know, are all across the United States now and really do the grassroots work of educating our communities, you know, raising money locally to different events. Again, the money that we raise helps us to fund the research that continues to investigate, you know, the cause of suicide and help us better understand, you know, interventions and strategies to support people in those moments of crisis. It's interesting. You just said uh, die by suicide. Um, Explain to us why saying someone committed suicide isn't the best way to describe it. Well, as we move forward in really addressing suicide as a health issue, people don't commit cancer or diabetes, (laughs) so it doesn't make sense to use that language. And so it's also very stigmatizing. You know, we hear it a lot with criminal things, right? Committed a crime, committed a sin. Mm. And so we're really trying to move away from that and just help people to focus on it and talk about it as if it was, you know, again, a health issue like any other. So we use the terms died by or died from, right, Uh, suicide instead of that, that, that old term committed. That's very true, and I hadn't thought about it exactly that way, that when you commit something, typically you're talking about a crime and not a health Mm -hmm. issue, which is what suicide is and how we should treat it, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And the more we move forward with treating it as a health issue and talking about it that way, we get rid of the stigma that has kept so many people from being able to seek help and talk openly about their experiences and really get the support they need to stay alive. Let's talk about some numbers, and some, sometimes I hesitate to talk about st- statistics because they're numbers, and behind these numbers are real people. Um, the suicide rate in 2020 was just over 13 people per 100,000 individuals, but in Utah, yeah. it was closer to 21 per 100,000 people, which makes us the ninth state in the in the country, and we don't want to be in the top 10. Why 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 are we in the top 10? That might be a tough question yeah, to answer. Yeah, no, that's it. it. You know, it actually, I'm going to give us props that we were number nine because ah. we've been as high as number three. Suicide in Utah has, has started to taper a little bit. We're actually on year four of a decrease in our state. And we're really hoping, especially in 2020, right, to see that happen was was miraculous. Nationwide, 2020 was also the second year of a decrease. And really, when we think about the pandemic, you know, for a lot of us, we we heard, right, that suicide was skyrocketing. And and that just wasn't true. You know, people really came together. We rallied in those first few months. We supported one each other. We checked in on each other. And I think it really elevated the discussion about mental health because we all recognized it. But we're definitely now in this kind of, we call it the second wave of the pandemic as far as mental health goes, because now we're really starting to see some of the effects of the pandemic happening. 
So, you know, we definitely need to, you know, while, yes, we're grateful that we've seen decreases, we need to really double down now and make sure that we're getting out there and supporting people who have crisis. But one of the reasons Utah's consistently been in the top 10 is is us and every other Rocky Mountain state. We live in a region called the Suicide Belt, and, and that's because a lot of our surrounding neighboring states have similar high rates of suicide. Mm. A lot of it has to do with rurality, you know, limited access to health care and lots of access to things like firearms and lethal means. You know, we also know that there's higher elevations, that, that there's been data, you know, even done here at the University of Utah by Perry Renshaw. But there's also, you know, things that haven't changed that we need to start looking at. But really what it comes down to is we have a high prevalence of people struggling with mental health crises. We do not have enough people to get them into to be seen. Um, I think it was Chem Gardner Institute that came out with a study last year, you know, that Utah ranked almost dead last when it came to accessibility to providers. Mm. And so we need to start looking at creative solutions for how we can make sure people get support for their mental health and have access to services. I'm looking at some national statistics compared to our state, and nationally, men died by suicide about four times more than women. In fact, white males make up about 70% of suicide deaths. But in Utah, it seems like we're skewing a little bit younger. Uh, 10 to 24-year-olds, it was the leading cause of death, suicide was. Uh, Second leading cause of death for 25 to 34, and third leading cause of death for 35 to 44. Why are our youngsters taking their lives? Yeah. And, you know, our youth, every death by suicide we know is tragic, specifically when it comes to youth, because, again, this is just not a natural way for folks to die, and and especially our young people. Youth make up a small portion of the suicides that we see in Utah, but we need to take it seriously. The fact that it's the leading cause of death should alarm anybody. And and yet we do consistently see men dying by suicide more often than women in our state as well. That's true for teenage boys as it is for teenage girls, right? We see more teenage boys die. Hmm. Historically, that has been due to things like chosen method and, and accessibility sometimes, you know, inability or inability, excuse me, to, to talk openly about our feelings and seek help. But I think the pressures that are on our youth today, I mean, you know, gosh, think back to when we grew up. We don't have to deal with all this, you know, social media, Snapchat, you know, the polarization in our world. There's a lot of stress on kids. You know, there's not an escape from these smartphones that they're glued to and this this cyber world that they're living in. And so we've definitely seen a correlation, you know, since 2011 when when smartphones came onto the scene with the decrease in in mental health, right, And, and more people experiencing things like depression and anxiety. So... Again, there's a lot more work that we need to do there, but we really need to start talking to our kids young, right, and, mm-hmm. and educating them about their mental health, what it looks like, how to help seek when they are struggling. You know, a data point a lot of people don't don't get is that, you know, most people who experience their first onset of a mental health condition do so around age 11. You know, that's, that's when puberty is happening. That's when, you know, our body is going through all sorts of changes anyway. And so if we don't recognize it for what it is and maybe blow it off as just teenage behavior, when it's in fact, you know, depression or anxiety starting to manifest, we delay getting our kids the help and support that they need. And so it's just important that, again, all of us address our mental health when we're struggling, we seek help for it the same way I would if my heart was, you know, struggling, if I was having a heart attack, I would not hesitate to reach out. When you're having a brain attack, right, when your brain goes dark on you and it's telling you things like you can't do it, you shouldn't be here, we need you to seek help. We need you to go to a doctor. We need you to talk to a professional so that we can support you and get your brain healthy again. I have always thought that the three years of middle school or junior high, that has to be the hardest three years in life. <laughs> that is such an awful Oh, my time. gosh, right? I would never <laughs> want to go back to that. <laughs> 
Um, My empathy is with all these kids. You mentioned uh, the rural issue in Utah and the western states, and I'm looking at this statistic. Over over 43% of communities in Utah don't have enough mental health providers. How do we change that? Because that's got to be expensive, and it's got to be time-consuming. How do we make that happen? I know, right? I mean, I'm even going back to start my master's in social work here in two weeks because I know that we need more people, right? So I'm throwing my hat in the ring. Of course, I'm going to incur debt and all those other things that we do. So that's, again, where we can be creative. Why not offer loan forgiveness for folks who decide to go into the mental health field? More importantly, if they decide to move to rural parts of our state to, to work and to be able to offer some of these services. We need to continue to work with our primary care docs, you know, our physician's assistants. I did a training at UVU the other day on mental health and suicide prevention for the PA kids. Because, again, this is a touch point where people have access. Maybe it can't always be a licensed clinical, you know, social worker, mental health provider. But, gosh, if you have somebody who can listen and support and guide, you know, that's what we need. And in the meantime, that's why it's so important that all of us as community members, again, get educated about the warning signs, the same way we do heart attack and stroke, so that we can administer that mental health first aid when somebody we encounter is struggling. Because for most of us, we just need somebody to talk to about what's happening, why we feel how we feel, and not fix it, right? But just validate that, man, it's hard right now. Let's see what the next steps can be, and let's work together to get you support. I saw that term mental health first aid on your website today, and I love that idea. So it's a course that we teach. It's an eight-hour course. Um, We have virtual options now, of course, thanks to the pandemic, right? Um, I'm an instructor. It's one of my favorite classes to teach because it gives us some common sense, basic things that we can do. And again, if we understand what mental health deterioration looks like, we get people help sooner. You know, the, the data tells us most people reach stage four is what they call it before getting a proper diagnosis with their mental health. Hmm. Well, we know stage four in cancers and other health issues means it's, it's almost too far gone to get appropriate help. Right. So, again, earlier recognition, earlier treatment better outcomes. So we want people to get educated about what it looks like. Just one more statistic, and then we'll move on from that. This one really struck me. In Utah, almost 17 times as many people die from suicide than from alcohol-related motor vehicle accidents. And alcohol-related motor vehicle accidents gets a ton of our attention. Mm -hmm. And yet 17 times more people are dying by suicide than in those car crashes. That's amazing. Yeah. And if you think about what we started to do when we saw alcohol related crashes, right, we created a public awareness campaign. We said, hey, we need to talk about this. Right. There's, you know, drunk driving checkpoints and different things out on the freeway. You know, we have public messaging. We're talking about it. We've got to do those same things. And so a few years ago at the legislature, they implemented a, a a fund. It's called the Live On Campaign. This is where the legislature matched private donors. And we now have a suicide prevention campaign that we've been utilizing for the last couple of years to really, again, get this conversation out there, but do it in a way that's safe. Because while, yes, we have to talk about suicide, we've got to make sure that we're messaging and talking about our experiences in a way that doesn't increase risk for other people. And so not sharing lethal means, right? Not telling graphic details. That doesn't, that doesn't help somebody who's struggling, right? That only increases their risk. 
We want to promote hope and healing and resources and where you can get help. And so Live on Utah is a, a website people can visit where you can download and see some of this content. We're doing some fun things with social media with them this year um, to do kind of education courses where people can sit on Instagram and take a little class, right, and learn more about how to talk to somebody and what it looks like. So we definitely need to continue that, that education piece. Education is huge. Um, I've known you for a few years, and you've taught me a lot about this subject. So just some basic questions for people that maybe don't know where to start or what to do. Who is at risk for suicide generally? So we know that anybody, really anybody, right? If I'm a human and I'm living and breathing, I could have risk. But just like any other health issue, there's going to be specific risk. If you have a family history, okay, of mental health conditions, depression, anxiety, substance use, if you have a history of trauma, if you have a history of previous attempts or suicide has happened in your family, that's a risk, right? We know people who have stressful environments. You think of our law enforcement, our first responders, you know, military, um, witnessing things that, again, increase their risk because of the trauma and the brain trying to process those things. You know, we also see that, that people who have been exposed to suicide, and especially when it's in an unsafe way. We saw it after Robin Williams. You know, realistically, we saw it after Kurt Cobain. Mm-hmm. When media glamorizes or shares these stories and talks openly about the method and things, it puts people at risk who are already struggling. And so there's so much that we can do to, to kind of mitigate that. But then the other thing we have to remember is there's things that protect us, right? If we're going to talk about risk, we need to know we're at risk so that we can take action to keep ourselves safe. So that's, again, taking care of your mental health, doing something good for your brain every single day so you can de-stress, especially yeah. in today's world, right? And, and again, seeking help, you know, looking at that as a sign of strength, not weakness. And so we, we have to look at both sides. But absolutely, there are things that, that can put people at risk. So if you know you have those risk factors, what pro- proactive steps can you mm-hmm. take to, to keep yourself safe? And then what are some of the warning signs, both for family and friends, but also warning signs to be aware of for yourself? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we say they fall into three buckets, right? Three categories. It's usually the first is talk, right? It's things that people say. Now, a lot of us blow off talk and we say, oh, if somebody's talking about suicide, you know, they're only doing it for attention. Well, the moral of the story is they are. They're trying to let you know they're struggling. And if they're bold enough to say they're thinking of suicide, take it seriously. Give them attention. Find out more. But when people make those hopeless statements, right, like, I can't do it. Everybody's better off, right? Such a burden. Nothing's going to change. That indicates they're in a state of hopelessness. So ask. You know, behavior, when they start acting reckless, their sleep changes, their eating habits change. Behavior can be very unique. You know, look at what people are looking at online, especially parents. Be aware of what your kids are searching. You know, when they're searching for access, um, searching for method, you know, that's a way. Stockpiling things, you know, we, Uh we need to be mindful of that. And then I think the biggest one is mood. You know, often people assume that if someone's suicidal, they're sad. And that's not always the case. Sometimes they're angry. Sometimes they're humiliated. Maybe something has happened that's just gutted them. Right. You know, maybe they're happy because they've been struggling for so long and they finally see a way out. Oh, yeah. So when you notice something that just makes you go, huh? You know, ask about it. Hey, tell me how you're feeling. And I'm wondering if you thought about suicide. It is okay to ask the question. And that leads me right into the next question. Does asking somebody if they're thinking about suicide put that idea in their head? No. 
In fact, it gives them permission to say yes if they are. Again, I could ask you right now, hey, Mike, are you thinking of suicide? Did I just make you think to go kill yourself? (laughs) You know, the answer is no, right? Of course not. But if you were already struggling, it might make you be like, oh, my gosh, maybe I can tell somebody. Maybe I should say this out loud. And and that's what we need, right? Because, again, our brain is stuck trying to figure out a solution to something that it can't. It needs somebody else to talk to to be able to find an, a way through whatever they're struggling with. So asking is a, is a great way of, again, knowing whether that's on the table or not. And if they say yes, thank them. Thank them for being honest. Mm-hmm. You know, we just rolled out the new crisis number, 988. You can call 988 right now, today. You can text and get support immediately for your loved one, for yourself. Um, but yeah, asking is definitely a way of getting again to the root of what's happening with that person. And I, I'm th- I'm thinking that if you're asking somebody, you don't necessarily have to even use the word suicide. I'm just saying, are you okay? Yeah, we call it having a real conversation, right? Asking <laughs> and really caring about what they have to say, not just how are you as I walk by, right? right. But hey, I've noticed and name the things you've noticed. You know, I noticed that you you stopped eating lunch with me. Man, you know, you've slept in the last few days. You don't normally do that. Just want to check in, see if things are okay. You know, we, we recognize people and, and talk about the things that we observe as to why we're concerned. My guest this morning is Taryn Hyatt. She's the area director for Utah and Nevada for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And the website is AFSP.org. And not only is there a lot of information there about events and things that are going on, but there's also some great help there as well. I, I spent some time poking through the website today. Now, you mentioned the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. Uh, they've been working on that for years. It's now live. Like you mentioned, you can call 988. You can also text 988. It's absolutely free. It's confidential. It's available 24 hours a day. And I love this. When you call 988, you'll have the option of selecting either specifically the Veterans Crisis Line or they also have a Spanish language crisis line. I'm, I'm so excited that this is finally up and happening. And the idea was we need something easy to remember. So 988 is that suicide crisis lifeline. Yeah, and that's been a work in progress. And again, just huge kudos to every single person out there who advocated for this. You know, Senator Thatcher in our state for having the thought and the idea to bring it. You know, Orrin Hatch and Chris Stewart for taking it to the National Congress and, and making this a national priority. You know, this is tremendous move forward. It it takes the burden off law enforcement from having to deal with mental health crises when they haven't been properly trained. And that isn't fair to them. Mm -hmm. 988 is part of an entire crisis system, right? We now have mobile crisis teams that can be dispatched if needed. But we know that most people who call 988, they just need to talk. And Mm -hmm. a lot of those calls are escalated and addressed right on the phone and no other action is needed. But should it be, we're working really hard to create a crisis system that delivers a mental health response not a criminal one, right? Not lights and sirens, a costly ambulance ride. Like we're going to have a mental health therapist and a peer come out and meet with you and talk with you and see what we can do to help. Another thing that uh, has been around for a while that I really like is the Safe Utah app. Can you talk about that a little bit? Oh, I love that, right? And again, thanks to Dan Thatcher and Stevie Listen, when when the three-digit number didn't go through right away, they said, well, let's make an app. Safe UT is an app available to students, to parents. We even have a first responder and a National Guard version. It's an app you can download on your phone. You can chat live with the crisis counselor, again, for free, anonymously. 
The reason it's so beneficial for youth is they have the ability to report a tip about a friend if a friend is struggling, if a friend is in crisis, if a friend has talked about bringing a gun or something to school. Because guess what? We've actually had school shootings in the state of Utah averted because somebody said something. Mm. So this has been a wonderful tool for kids to be able to, again, not only get support for themselves, but be able to to check in and, and get their friends help and support, too, because we know we need to tell. Right. This is where I can tell if somebody's struggling. I don't want to keep those things secret. Your Out of the Darkness walk is coming up September 10th and the Salt Lake City walk is at Veterans Memorial Park in West Jordan. But you've got walks all over the state. Tell us a little bit more about the Out of the Darkness walk. Oh, I love the walk. It's my baby. So we did our first one here 16 years ago, right, down in Provo and then moved up to the Salt Lake area. Uh, So, yeah, it'll be year 16 in Salt Lake. It's our biggest one. Um, We'll be at Veterans Memorial Park on World Suicide Prevention Day. It's really just a day for for like any other health issue, right? You come out, we walk in in honor of those we've lost, those who are struggling, those who are still here. We fundraise. It's a fundraiser for us to be able to do all the amazing programs we do throughout the year. And again, it's just a way for people to connect and come together. Um, we also have walks across the state, as you mentioned. So you can visit our website, just even AFSP.org slash Utah will take you to our local event pages. But I do want to give a shout out to, you know, we also have amazing community partners. New Hope does a walk up in Ogden. You know, Hope for Utah does a walk down here in Provo. People always say, why don't you do one in Utah County? And I'm like, because there is one, right? <laughs> no one group can tackle this issue. We need to work together and we need all of us. And so, yeah, if you want to walk to fight suicide in our state, there is a walk literally every weekend and one probably pretty close to you. So visit our website and and come out and join us and show your support. AFSP.org slash Utah will take you there. And it's a little ways off, but the International Survivors of Suicide Loss Day is in November. Tell us a little bit about that and, and what that is. Again, I love this day, too. This was an event that was so close to my heart. So back in 1999, Senator Harry Reid, who we know is from, you know, Utah and and actually just just passed away this last year, but he had lost his dad to suicide. And and a member of Congress at the time went before them and said, you know what, I want to dedicate a day to survivors of loss across the United States. It's now moved to an international event. So we have sites that are held worldwide where on the Saturday before Thanksgiving, anyone who's been affected by a suicide loss comes together at these different events. We, we usually watch a, a screening that AFSP puts together, a documentary that chronicles stories of people's experience so that we can learn from each other. We can get that support. You know, we eat, we usually do a remembrance activity, and it's a day for us to just be and honor that, that journey that we are on. Because we know that lost survivors have a high risk for suicide, too. Mm-hmm. That grief is a different journey you know, than than some other forms of death. So it's so important that we get support, that we're able to talk openly about the person that we've lost. And yeah, join us. We have, gosh, six or seven sites already set up here in our state. But like I mentioned, they'll happen worldwide. There's also going to be a a one on Facebook. If you don't even want to leave your house, you can tune into our Facebook Live as a national organization and watch that. And then we're friends on social media, so I have seen that you've done this. Tell us about the Out of the Darkness Overnight Walk. Oh, my gosh. I love that event. So the overnight, I didn't do it this year because I got a new hip in November. and I wasn't quite ready to walk 18 miles. (laughs) But the overnight is AFSP's biggest fundraiser, and they do it in select cities each year. There's usually only one or two cities. 
So my little sister and I have walked in 10 of them, and it's a mile, or excuse me, a 16 to 18 mile walk through the night. You start at dusk and you walk until dawn. And again, it's a way that we come together and honor our experiences if we've been affected. And what I love about the overnight is it really parallels life, right? You start out with this excitement and this crowd, and you're all like, okay, here we go. We're going to do this thing. And and as you start walking, right, that excitement starts to wane as you get into it. And it gets hard, and it gets dark, and it gets lonely. And before you know it, you look around, and there's really just you. And and you feel like, crap, I'm tired. I don't know (laughs) that I want to keep going. And then all of a sudden, somebody will be like, woohoo, right? They have a cheering section that, that cheers you on, and you go, oh, maybe I can. And then we come and finish, and there's luminaria lit up that, oh, wow. that feature every person who showed up to walk. And it just, I mean, I get chills right now just thinking about it, right? And it's such a beautiful experience, again, to come together. I walked next to a guy one year who was probably in his late 70s with a walker. He had just had a new wow. done, and he walked that entire thing with me. I just thought, you know what? But again, in honor of his son. Huh. And my sis and I joke all the time, I'd walk a million miles if it gave us one more day. Oh, so, yeah. you know, we'll always walk to, to support people and let people know they're not alone. What kind of volunteer opportunities do you have with uh, AFSP? We have several. So our chapter is run by volunteers. Um, I started as a volunteer, you know, gosh, 18, 19 years ago and then became staff just uh, about six years ago. And so our board of directors are all volunteers. So there's opportunity to serve on our chapter board. Our board is responsible for creating our business plan and our events that we do throughout the year. But we also have committees. You can serve on our education and be trained to facilitate programs. You can be part of our loss and healing. They coordinate our survivor days. There's also a peer-to-peer program called Healing Conversations for those who've lost a loved one to connect with other people in that experience. And advocacy, that's my fave, is Mm -hmm. I love to show up at the state capitol, as long as it's not one of those gnarly sessions with the bad (laughs) bills, but hey. We like, have to lend our voice, yeah. right? We got to stand up for our for our queer kids. We got to stand up for mental health services, and our legislators need to hear from us. So we advocate for public policy. So please, if you're interested, again, visit our website afsp.org/utah. There's a volunteer application. We'll connect, see how we can kind of fit things that you might want to to donate your time to. It's it's at least a couple of times a year, a few times a year, where I'm watching the news and oh look, there's Taryn up at the Capitol. Yep. <laughs> she is Taryn oh, Hyatt. She is, <laughs> she is Taryn Hyatt. She's the area director for Utah and Nevada for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. AFSP.org is the website. You're doing great things in our community, Taryn. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate your time today. Thank you for listening to All Along the Wasatch with Mike Parsons. If you would like to submit a request to be a guest on the show, please email mparsons at ksl.com. That's mparsons at ksl.com.